the Bible, 1 John. It's a small book, so you can just find your place there in that book. But happy Valentine's Day. It's uh, good to celebrate that together. And uh, a lot of people don't may not recognize the origin of Valentine's Day. So before we get into our message, uh, there's several different tales about the origin of Valentine's Day. But one says that there was a priest by the name of Valentine. You got it, yeah. And he lived in Rome around 250 A.D. And at that time, Rome was being ruled by an emperor named Claudius II. And uh, some people even called (laughs) Claudius II, Claudius the Cruel, because he was not a very nice guy. And St. Valentine, or Priest Valentine, whatever you want to call him, he didn't think much of this Claudius character either, and most people didn't care for him either. But Claudius was the kind of emperor who had a big ego and had a lot of pride, and so he wanted to build his army um, to be the biggest army in the region. And to do that, he needed young men to come and serve. Well, there was only one problem standing in the way. The young men, a lot of them had wives, a lot of them had girlfriends, and they wouldn't enlist voluntarily in Claudius's big army plan. So, believe it or not, this guy actually outlawed marriage. And that's kind of a crazy idea, but uh, hopefully nobody here this morning is saying, well, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. (laughs) That's not a good idea. Um, So he outlawed marriage, and one of the favorite things that this Valentine religious leader got to do was to marry people. And so he thought Claudius's edict was ridiculous, so he continued to marry people. And uh, one night, there was footsteps coming up to his door, a knock on the door, and the couple he was marrying ran out the back. They got away, but they captured Valentine, and they took him in for uh, punishment. And he sat in jail, and basically he told his punishment was going to be death because he defied Claudius II's order. And what happened after that was kind of amazing A lot of the people in the community, in the outlying region, began to bring him flowers and notes and all sorts of things and throw them up to the window of the jail where he was being held. And uh, eventually one of these young people was actually the daughter of a prison guard. She wanted to meet Valentine, and so her father let her in, and they met together for a period of time and got to know each other rather well, the story goes. And uh, on the day that he was to die which was February 14th, 269 A.D., he wrote a note to this uh, young uh, woman who had been visiting him on and off, and he signed it, Love from Your Valentine. Now, I don't know if that's where everything got started with all these crazy cards, but it's kind of interesting when you look at history and see how sometimes we take things and uh, turn them into this commercialized thing. But uh, originally... Uh, It was someone who was trying to do the right thing. Well, today is Valentine's Day. And as you turn over to 1 John, I want you to look at chapter 4. And we're not, uh, I know we're not in our study of Matthew this morning, but uh, it would be kind of hard to preach on demon possession and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit on Valentine's Day of all days. So I thought we'll throw a little message in here before we get back into Matthew next week. And uh, today we want to look at God's love. But as you turn over in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 8. Verse 8. It says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then jump down to verse 16. Same chapter. It says, And we have known and believed the love of God the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And then turn back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Danny read a great set of verses out of Ephesians this morning. But we want to look at Ephesians chapter 3 just briefly. Ephesians chapter 3. And as you look, zero in on cha- or verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3. Very few people today, I would say, biblically, have a really good grasp of what the love of God is. 
and what it entails, what it involves. And we want to look at that subject this morning, the love of God. But in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, here we find a prayer that was written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul for the church at Ephesus. And we can apply that, obviously, to us today. We are the church here in Redwood City, so this prayer applies to us as well as he wrote this under the uh, Spirit's power and, and the Spirit's leading. And he, it really expresses, this prayer expresses God's desire for every uh, child of God. Look at verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded, here it comes, in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. See, the love of God is something that is just incredible. It's an incredible subject. You can't even get your hands around it. I mean, we're not even going to do it justice this morning. We're just going to highlight seven little points about the love of God. But if you want to really roll your sleeves up and get into the the Word of God, begin to do a study on the love of God. It's amazing what you find out. But it's also one of the most misunderstood subjects in the world. I really believe that when it comes to theology. Very few people, biblically speaking, really have a proper understanding of what the love of God is. What that means. Already this morning in 1 John, we heard those three little words. Remember what they were? God is what? God is love. We heard it twice. Someone once said that to know the love of God as a human being here on earth is indeed heaven upon earth. Paul's prayer for the church here and for every single believer under heaven by the Spirit's power and the Spirit's revelation and knowledge that we would come to understand the great love that God has toward us. I'm going to ask you this morning, do you know the love of God? Do you personally know it? I didn't say know about it, but do you know it? And I have to kind of set this message up because there's a lot of misunderstanding about that phrase, God is love. See, when we say God is love, that doesn't mean that it denies all his other attributes. God is not love and not holy. Okay, God is faithful. God is holy. God is omniscient. God is sovereign. All those things. But it also says here that God is love. Isn't that an incredible statement? Notice it doesn't say that God is like love. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It says God is love. And that's not the complete truth about God. It couldn't be. Because there's many different attributes of our Heavenly Father. There are many things that we can say about God. We can talk about His nature. We can talk about His different attributes. But some people today in the world have the misunderstanding that when it says God is love, that means love is God. And they flip it around. We see it in our society today. People don't worship God. What do they worship? They worship love. Love at all costs. Love no matter what. And that thing that we call love, that affection or that action that shows that we're concerned or that we have compassion towards someone else, whether it be our spouse, whether it be our children, whether it be families, brothers and sisters within the church, some have interpreted the fact that God is love to say that love is God. And so they got everything messed up. And so they worship love itself. See, that's not what the word of God is saying when he clearly says here that God is love. What's he saying? He's describing God's nature. He's describing his character. He's describing what God is like. 
God is love. And as I said, it's not a denial of his other attributes. It doesn't mean that God is love in spite of everything else. Everything else is excluded. But what the Word of God is saying here is that this great attribute of God's love, that God is love, is more than simple, more than simply just an attribute. When we say God is faithful, His faithfulness is an umbrella over all of His attributes. And when we say God is love, think of His love as an umbrella over everything that He is and everything He does. I mean, it's really the summing up of what God is to every believer, to every person who has come into a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can say today as believers in Christ, you know what, to me, God is love because I've experienced it personally. All of God's operations, all of his actions, all of his thoughts are under that umbrella that God loves us, that God is love. The love of God is the nature that makes possible everything that he is and everything that he does. And you know what? Because he has no beginning, guess what? This love has no beginning. And because he is transcendent, he is over everything, guess what? This love is beyond all limits. Because he is holy, because he is spotless, because he is pure, this love is pure. This love is reliable. This love is perfect. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that kind of love? Maybe you're sitting here this morning And you could even in your heart say, you know what? That love doesn't exist. That's not the kind of love I've experienced in my life. I look back and there's bodies strewn everywhere. All under the the guise of love. There's a lot of hurt when you talk about love with some people. Because they've been hurt by love. Their understanding of love. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the kind of love that God dishes out. See, many who talk about the love of God don't even really know what they're talking about because they've never experienced it in their life. They think that the love of God is something that He pours out on all humanity indiscriminately. And that He just blesses everybody irregardless of whether they're His child or the child of the devil. doesn't make any difference because, after all, love is God and God is love. No matter how you're living your life, that doesn't matter. We serve a God who's love. See, the Scriptures also teach that God is spirit. In John 4.24, it says that His nature, that He is made up of spirit. God doesn't have a body. It also teaches in 1 John 1.5 that God is light. So God is not just love, love alone. He's also spirit. He's also light. So why do I go into all this before we even get into the subject of God's love? Because unfortunately today, sadly in the world and even within the church, beloved, people look at the love of God as something that is weak, something that is indulgent, something that is sickly sentimental. In fact, in most Christian lives, I could say that the love of God probably has a lower place than the love for family or their spouse or even their job or money or their status in life. It's below all that. They don't even give the love of God much thought. I'm here to tell you this morning, the love of God is not indulgent. It's not soft. It's not divorced from morality and justice and his holiness. We have to understand this morning that God's love is a holy love. It's set apart from any other love you'll ever experience because our God is a holy God. God's love is a perfect love. It's a spotless love. It's a just love. Because that's who our God is. For our God is a God who loves righteousness and he hates iniquity. And unfortunately, like everything else in the Bible, Hollywood takes what God meant for good and distorts it. And we get a cheap counterfeit of that word love today. 
And the world perceives love in a whole different way. The world perceives love as getting a bunch of musicians together in a room and singing, we are the world. Wow, can't you just feel the love in the room? Hey, they have a worthy cause. I understand they're trying to raise funds for the people in Haiti and all that. But that's not what we're talking about. The love of God is so much further above that. So let's not look at the love of God the way the world looks at love because we're not going to understand it. Actually, if you turn over in Romans chapter 5 in your Bibles, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says there, Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint because the love, look at what it says, of God has been shed abroad or poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Do you know... As a believer, you have the love of God shed abroad in your hearts. You have the love of God poured out in your hearts. That's what that means, shed, that word shed abroad means. It means poured out. It means tipped up and poured out. Notice it doesn't say a love for God. It doesn't say that. It says the actual love of God is poured out in your heart. It's a word that's used of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and baptized all those believers. It says they were filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out in their life with tremendous power. And what Paul is saying here is that this love, the love of God, is poured into our hearts through His Spirit. One translation puts it this way. God's love has flooded our inmost hearts. See, it's a a free flow of a large quantity of God's love. It's kind of a, you might call it an inundation of God's love toward His children. I don't know if you've ever tried to drink water from a high-pressure hose. But it's rather difficult. You can actually drown trying to do that. It's hard. That's, that's kind of what this is this morning. We're talking about the love of God. And it's, if, you, if you really try to take on the whole thing at once, you'll just drown. Because it's just overwhelming. This word here in Romans 5, 5 is also the verb shed abroad or poured out. It's also in the original language. It's in what they call the perfect tense. And what the perfect tense means, it's an action that's completed at one point, but it has ongoing repercussions. Think of it this way. We're going through a drought, right? Hopefully we're getting out of the drought, but we've been going through a drought. Do you know that one of these reservoirs, if you have one big, tremendous storm, can literally fill up? However, I did read the other day in the newspaper, they're not allowing them to fill up because they're afraid they'll break because of an earthquake. So they're actually draining the water out of the reservoir before they even get full. And then they're complaining about a drought. It doesn't make any sense. But if those reservoirs worked properly and were reinforced properly, you could actually fill up that reservoir with one huge storm. But you know what's going to happen? Over that summer when the rain stops and the heat kicks up, you're going to continue to benefit from that water that's sitting in that reservoir. See, that's what this verb means. It means something that was completed at a point in time and yet it has ongoing kind of repercussions in your life. The love of God. I want to ask you this morning, has it been tipped up? Has it been poured into your heart? Have you experienced that kind of love in your life? Has your being been infused with the love of God? Have you received into your life kind of an inundation of God's love? Flooding your inmost heart. Well, let's look at this love. And there's just seven things that I want to share with you in the next several minutes about the love of God. And these are very brief. We're just scratching the surface here today. But first of all, the love of God is a gracious love. It's a gracious love. Because that's the nature of love itself. Grace, grace and mercy. We sang about that this morning. One thing that's interesting, if you read history much, and you come to understand a little bit about the Greek and Roman cultures, they were... Religious in the, in the sense that they were very uh, polytheistic. They had all these different gods. But they also had, especially in the Greek culture, they would bring their gods down to their level. So 
they would bring these gods down and they would have battle and they would even have relations with each other. We call that what? Mythology, right? Gods coming down on the level of mankind. That was their understanding of deity. But see, the God we serve, the song we sang for the offering, how great is our God. He is so far above us. He's so far beyond us. Paul even had to invent a new word to talk about the love of God. He invented agape. It's above human love. Supernatural love. It's above our love for our family. It's above our friendships. It's not a phileo love. It's not a a sexual love a husband and a wife share within the confines of marriage. Eros love. No, it's an agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love. See, that's the kind of God we serve. So this love is a gracious love. The one thing that we need to understand that the objects of God's love, those who are objects of God's love, even today here in this room, you were once, we were once, objects of His wrath. Isn't that amazing? That something can go from being under the wrath of God unto under His supernatural love. How does that happen? You know, we tend to Love people for who they are, right? I mean, that's just what we, how we are made up. I mean, if they're related to us, we love them. If they're family, or maybe we look at what they look like, and, oh, we love them if they're good looking, or if they're nice to us. We'll show love toward them. But see, that's not this kind of love. That's not the kind of love of God that we're talking about because this is a gracious love. This is an agape love. This is a love above all loves. And He shows us this love, the Bible says, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 What a love. He didn't look at us and say, you know what, you need to clean yourselves up, folks. You're too dirty, you're too filthy, I'm a holy God, I can't get near you. I couldn't love you if I tried. He looked at us in our lost condition. He said, I know you're still sinners, but you know what, I'm sending my son to die. To die a sacrifice in your place. I mean, isn't that amazing? That should thrill your heart. The wrath of God once abided on your head. And now the grace of God is being tipped out and poured out into your heart through His love. The unlovely, the unlovable have inherited something that's free. Something that's unearned. Something that's unmerited. We call it grace unqualified. Do you know you're not even qualified to receive the love of God? Do you know that nothing in you, nothing in me could ever attract God to us? Nothing. In fact, if you really want to be honest about it, the Bible says everything that we have within us in our natural state would actually repel God. It would repel anything holy. It would repel anything righteous, anything good. And yet God somehow in His grace The Bible says has come to us. The Apostle Paul, probably one of the most incredible men of God, says in Romans 7, 8, here's what he says about himself. He says, in my flesh, in me, dwells what? No good thing. Nada. Zippo. Nothing. See, that goes against everything we learn in our society today. Oh, you know, you come on, you self-esteem, you gotta love yourself before you love others. You got oh come on, get over this old stuff. That's not what it's about. See, God's worth, God's word stands true. In us, there's no good thing. The Bible describes our heart as wicked and desperately evil. And you know what? 
If we're given a choice between good and evil every time in our natural state, we'll go to the evil. Because that's who we are. See, we're not sinners because we sin. Do you understand that? We're not sinners because we sin. So many times as Christians, we get caught up in this, this performance mentality. And so we try to stop the sin, which is a good thing. But we have to remember that we're still in a sinful body. We're still in a sinful world. You're never going to get to a point in your life where you conquer sin. Until He comes and takes you home. Until your body's glorified. Until you're rid of this mass of corruption and depravity and sin and iniquity that we live in every day. That's the hope we have in Christ. That we can have victory over sin, not because of who we are, right? But because of who He is. And because of where we put our faith, our trust. God has lavished upon us His grace, and a gracious love it is indeed. In Deuteronomy 7, 7, God says this about the children of Israel. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people. For you were the least of all peoples, he says. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. In other words, the love of God has nothing to do with about who you are. Absolutely nothing. It's got nothing to do with what you've done. It's got nothing to do with what you can do. The love of God is a gracious God. It's free. It's a a gracious love. It's free. It's unmerited. And it's poured out into our hearts. Hearts of those who are degenerate. Those who are depraved sinners. I mean, what a gracious God we serve. What a gracious love He offers us out on a platter. That's why in 1 John 4.19, it says this, We love Him because He first loved us. (laughs) See, don't get that thing switched around. Sometimes we want to believe that, oh yeah, you know, yeah, I became a Christian. I found Christ. I put my faith in God. And we start thinking kind of quite a bit about ourselves. We've made all these proper Choices, and because of our choices, now God has to love us. That's pretty clear. It says, we love Him because what? He first loved us. If He hadn't loved you in grace, you would have never loved Him. In a million years, you would have never loved Him. But He poured out His grace upon you. And as the the hymn says, He loved you ere you knew Him. And before you had one ounce of love for God, He loved you. And He loved you with a gracious love. Do you know that He can't love you any more than He loves you right now? I mean, isn't that wonderful to hear that? That, you know, when you go into a relationship, you're kind of evolving in that relationship. You're growing in love with that person. Ken and Shelley have known each other 30 years, right? They've grown to love each other. Sure, they had bumps in the road, as we all do. But that's, you stick to it. Because you love the person. And you continue to grow in love toward one another. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Do you understand that's not the kind of love I'm talking about? That God loves you this morning more than He could ever even love you. He can't increase it one iota, one bit. He can't. Love you more. And you know what? You can't earn it. You can't go out and try to tell God, hey, I'm going to earn your love. It doesn't work that way. All you can do is learn about who God is and learn more and more about the love of God. And beloved, that's a gracious God. And thank God for that. Can you imagine if it was a performance-based God, love? That He was into our performance? I don't know about you, but I'd be saved about a millisecond. Before I'd be in hell if our salvation depended on our performance. 
That's the love of God. It's a gracious God. Secondly, it's an eternal love. It's a gracious love. It's it's an eternal love, secondly. And you find that in Scripture all over the place because we know that God is eternal. And if God is eternal, then His love must be eternal. Everything that He is is eternal. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It doesn't say temporary. It doesn't say conditional. It says everlasting. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket science to do a, a word study on the word everlasting to figure out what that means. Therefore, he says, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I mean, that just proves it that it has nothing to do with us. I mean, God's love is so eternal. Do you know that God's, God loved you before there was even a you to love? Think about that one for a minute. That's kind of weird. God loved you before there was even a you to love. He set his love upon you before there were, you were even born. I mean, imagine that. When only God and his foreknowledge knew that there would be a you with all your failures, with all your faults, with all your sins, with all your whinings and complaining and griping and problems and everything. He loved you. Ephesians 1.4. Turn over there and look at this verse. Ephesians 1, 4, it says, Just as He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now, we have some older people here this morning. Some people that are up there in age. Any of you folks been here before the foundation of the world? I don't think so. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should what? Be holy and blameless before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Christ, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace forever. Why did God save you? So you wouldn't go to hell? You think that's why God saved you? That's not why he saved you. He saved you for his glory. It's the only reason God does anything, for His glory. And so many people get caught up in the doctrine of election, and they, their mind just goes into, you know, overdrive and overheats, and pretty soon they're thinking, whoa, this can't be, this is, this is a horrible doctrine, because they try to explain it. How could God choose me to know Him before I was even born? I don't know. That's in the mind of God. He'll settle that out. But that's what the Word of God teaches. And sometimes we get so caught up in trying to explain the doctrine of election that God would choose this person and and, and this person is going to hell because he's not chosen. How do you figure that out? And you get so caught up in the minutia of that that you really miss the enjoyment factor of this doctrine. You miss the fact that God's love is an eternal love. That he loved me before I was ever even born. If that's not unconditional love, I don't know what is. In some countries, they have marriages that are arranged. And you never even see each other until the day that you're married. And even then, she's still got this thing over her face. I mean, I'm just being honest. You know, how do you know what's going on? I would be nervous if I was the groom. I mean, at least... The bride gets to see this guy. See, that's our kind of thinking. That's our love. We we want to love somebody based on who they are and what they can do for us, on how they act and what they look like. That's not the kind of love that God has. Because it's an eternal love. He loved you. He loved me before I was ever even born. His love has no beginning in time for me and His love will have no end in time for me. There's nothing that I can do, think, act. There's no place that I can go, the Bible says, that's too far away for God's love, His eternal love, to reach down and touch my heart. Isn't that an amazing truth? It doesn't matter what you've done in your past life. 
When you come to God and you say, I want to know this kind of love. I want to have this kind of relationship that's not based on performance, that's not based on outward looks, that's not based on what I can do. I want to know this kind of person. I want to know this kind of God. That's the kind of gracious, eternal love that we're talking about. And you can know it. You just cry out to Him and say, God, help me know this. Help me know you. The way this man's talking about this morning. Thirdly, it's an unlimited love. Because our God is an unlimited God. He's infinite. God is infinite in wisdom and power and in love. You know, you can't fathom His love. The great depth of His love. You can't delve into the depths of His love. You can't even go there. You look at its height, you can't, there's no way that you could stand back and say, oh, I can scale that, no problem. You can never measure its length. Because the Bible says that love, the love of God, passes all knowledge. It's beyond us. It's what Danny read this morning, Ephesians 2, 4, it says, His great love with which He loved us. Ephesians 3, 8, 18 and 19 says that, may, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge so that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. You want the fullness of God in your life? Do a study on the love of God. God is transcendent. That means He's above everything. He's beyond anything. And you see, if God is above everything, then His love is above everything too. It's beyond us. I mean, I pray this morning that we would come just to see a little glimpse, just a little glimpse of His love, of His breadth and length and depth and height. I mean, we could never truly contemplate or comprehend His love because it's such a vast love. I'm going to sing a song at the end of the service, but the song says how wide, how high, how wide, how deep and how long, how sweet and how strong is your love. How lavish your grace, how faithful your ways, how great is your love, O Lord. I pray this morning that that love would come down and saturate your being. That whether you're saved or not, that somehow God would touch your heart this morning and show you this kind of unlimited love. This kind of gracious love. It's the kind of love that we all need. Fourthly, it's a saving love. It's a saving love. It's not only gracious and eternal and unlimited. It's a love that saves In 1 John 3.16, he says, By this, by this we know love. Well, tell us how, John. Because he, Christ, laid down his life for us. If you want to ask somebody, what's the highest expression of love? You give up your life for somebody else. You don't deserve to die, but you step in and you take death, even though that wasn't your number. You do it because you love somebody. That's, That's the highest expression of love. And that is what God has put on display for us through the cross. He demonstrated His love. It's an expression of it. It's a representation of it. 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says that God was in Christ, listen to this, reconciling the world unto Himself. God was in Christ. That eternal, that gracious God, that unlimited God. That transcendent, sovereign, eternal, powerful, holy God was in Christ. I mean, that's what the incarnation is all about, right? That's why we celebrate Christmas, because Christ has come down to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. Romans 8.32 says that he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He spared not Christ so that we could have everything in Christ. He wants to give us all things in Christ. We've had the blessing of having several newborns being born in our 
church. It's God's divine way of growing our church. <laughs> Just keep on having babies and pretty soon, you know, we'll be okay. But if you've ever seen a mother who's just had a baby, I mean, yeah, they're joyful and everything, but they're also tired. You can just see it on their face. I mean, they got a smile on their face, but their eyes say, I'm really tired. And you know, that mother who's nursing that child on her breast is literally giving herself away, is pouring her energy, her nutrition, that she could basically benefit from because She's been through a lot, but she's pouring that into this little infant. And I've never seen a mother nursing a child say, aren't you done yet? Come on. I want to go through this every day. Get over this. Never seen that. Why? Because that mother has a love for that child. And she would give her life for that child. That's what Christ did. He gave up his life for us. Because the love of God abided within him. The love of God was in Christ. He laid down his life for you, for me. That's the greatest love of all. Because every good love gives to its own. And Christ gave to you. Christ gave his blood for you on Calvary. Christ gave his soul for you. He poured himself out on an offering for sin there on that cruel cross. And that cross is the the proof, the crowning proof of God's love for you. John 3.16 says this clearly. For God so loved the world... That he gave, what? His son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, think about it. That's the love of God that we're talking about. Who did he love? He loved the world, the Bible says. How did he love? Well, he gave. Who did he give? His son. Why? That whosoever, that whosoever what? Believeth. And here's the, the kicker. Shall have everlasting life. That's a powerful word, have. In other words, there's no doubt about it. You don't have to question your your salvation if you're in Christ. Because the saving love of God is able to save the uttermost, to the uttermost, all who come to Him. No matter how depraved, no matter how sinful, no matter how sick. I asked this morning, has this great love been tipped out? Has it been poured And has it inundated your heart? I pray that you would realize this great love that God has for you. If you doubt it, if you question it, just look at the cross. Look at what he's done for you. This one who was born a baby in a manger was given for a person. He was sent for a purpose. He was sent to be the savior of the world. And that little form of baby, the blood going through his veins, would one day shed, be shed for the entire sins of all who would put their faith and trust in him. I mean, that's the love of God. And that love of God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a gracious love, eternal love, unlimited love, saving love, quickly and unchanging love. For our God is an unchanging God. John 13, verse 1 says that the Lord Jesus, having loved his own, which were in the world, here's what he says, he loved them until he got tired of it. (laughs) He loved them until they disappointed him. He loved them, no, it says, he loved them unto the end. I don't know about you, but you're not going to experience that kind of love here on earth. I don't care how much your spouse loves you. This is a supernatural kind of love. Love that will love no matter what the cost. Love that will love no matter what the turnout is. No matter what you do. No matter what you say. No matter who you are. The love just keeps loving. This kind of love will love you unto the end, the Bible says. I mean, we can't even comprehend that. Our love is so conditional. But God's love is without 
fits. He doesn't love you one day and then hate you the next. Somebody asked a husband one time, does your, love, does your, does your uh, uh, wife love you? He says, not today. <laughs> That's how it is. Love is fickle. Human love. Goes down the valley, goes up in the, the mountaintop, goes all over the place. That's not the love of God. The love of God has no notion. It has no fluctuations. It's not based on, you know, some fancy hope or something like that. That he wishes maybe he could love you more. The word of God says that his love is as strong as death. That many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. The Bible says in Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ. What shall separate us from the love of God? We are more than conquerors in that love, he says. No, nothing can separate us. That includes death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth. Any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Someone wrote this little poem, Forever His, forever only His, who the Lord and me shall part. With what peace and rest and bliss Jesus fills the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee. Firstborn light in gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am His and He is mine. Do you know that as long as God is alive and He lives forevermore because He's an everlasting love, I am his and he is mine. That love never stops. I want to ask you this morning, is he yours? Do you know the unchanging love of God? I don't mean do you know about it, but do you know it? Has it been tipped and poured out in your heart? Have you experienced it in your own life? Sixthly, it's a disciplining love. Whenever you look in the Bible and you see the disciplining of children, you know that it comes from a loving heart. Parents who love their children discipline their children. And we find that with God, even those he saves, he receives, he disciplines them. Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's not pleasant, but you know what? It's profitable for us to be disciplined. A mother, most times, will say, you know, kid, this hurts, hurts me more than it hurts you when they're disciplining their children. And I've seen mothers literally spank their children or whatever with tears in their eyes. And they do it because they love their child. They're disciplining them. See, God is not some kind of sadistic overlord in heaven that's this cosmic killjoy that just wants us to have no fun. He knows what's best for us. So he's given us his word, and when we go by his word, Bible, basic instruction before leaving earth, and we apply what we learn in his word, and we apply it to our 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 marriages, and we apply it to our relationships, and we apply it to our finances, and the way we think, and the way we act, and, and everything, you know what? We're a blessing to God. Let me have you understand this morning, God will not bestow happiness upon those who live outside the realms of his holiness. Let me say that again. God will not bestow happiness upon those who live outside the realms of his holiness. What do you mean? In other words, you know the word of God says one thing, says A, and because of your own whatever desire, you're going to do B. And you're setting the word of God aside. You're saying, you know, I know it says that, but I'm just going to go do this anyway because this is what I want. Danger, red flag, be careful, because you're going to fall under the disciplining hand of God. Because he's not going to leave you there. He loves you too much. Just like a parent wouldn't let a little child run out in the middle of the freeway and start playing. Go, oh, isn't that cute? What kind of parent would that be? What would you do? You'd go get the child, bring him home, and discipline him. You don't go out in the middle of the freeway. You could die. I love you. This hurts me more than it hurts you. And you would teach them not to do that again. Well, God 
does the same thing. He disciplines us. And he does it so to bring us back into line. God is constantly honing us. He's constantly making us better. He eventually wants us to come out as gold. I mean, do we believe Romans 8.28? We quote it all the time. All things work together for good to them that what? Love God. Do we believe that? I mean, sometimes in life, beloved, you have to go through heartache. Sometimes in life, beloved, you have to go through a trial, a tribulation. Sometimes you're going through it and you're going, God, why? Why is this happening to me? I don't know. And you know what? You're probably not going to get an answer to that question. So you have to fall back on God's love. You have to fall back on God's sovereign, divine plan. And for some reason, God has allowed that trial, that tribulation into your life. And you've got to trust that he's going to work it out for your betterment. It's a disciplining love. Last thing, it's a benevolent love. It's a good love. It's a good love. I mean, do you know that God has bound up his own final happiness in our happiness? I mean, God is self-sufficient, right? God is sovereign, right? See, the amazing thing about all that is he who was free and is free and will always be free has chosen by his own will, by his own volition, to bind his own heart with our happiness forever. It says here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. See, he's chosen to bind his own happiness and satisfaction to our own happiness and satisfaction. I mean, he's able to survive without us before creation. He's able to survive without us now. And he'll always be able to survive. But you know what? He's made the choice. God has chosen to make us happy, to make him happy. That's why 1 Peter 5, 7 says you can cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. The creator of the universe cares for you. George Mueller had this little sign on his desk. It says it matters to him about you. It matters to him about you. You know, that's true even this morning. God desires that relationship with you. He desires to pour out that love into your life. He desires us to enjoy Him. Where He can do His best for us. I mean, can you imagine that the God who created everything around us wants to do His best in our lives for us? The other side of that coin is, are we doing our best for Him? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. See, I do not believe that everyone is loved the same. I believe the Word of God teaches that those who obey show a greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ and have greater grace poured upon them. That's what he said in John 14, 23. If a man love me, what? He will keep my words and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. That's a special kind of love. That's the kind of love that comes in response to obedience. Our society is tormented by fear and by anxiety and by distress and by worry. And even those who belong to the Lord are experiencing these feelings in their own lives. And to be honest with you, as long as we're willing to live in the world and be satisfied standing, trembling in the arms of chance with this world system, you're going to fear. I want to leave you with a verse, though. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, what? Casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Have you ever seen a little child when they get lost in an amusement park or they get lost at a supermarket or whatever? They're, they're detached from their parents and they don't know where their parents are and their parents don't know where they're at. Sheer panic. 
I mean, you're talking about distress. You're talking about anxiety. You're talking, this little kid just doesn't know what to do. What do they do? They start to cry. And, you know, what's your name? <laughs> you know, they can't even tell you. Okay, I've seen it. That's how people feel today in this world. They're, they're running around in our society and they're just, they're all, they're all caught up. They're fearful. What about the future? What about tomorrow? What about the finances? What about my marriage? What about this relationship? What about that? What about my kids? See, if you continue to live your life without Christ in sin, you're going to have fear. You're going to be tormented by fear. God doesn't want you to live that way. The only way to deal with that kind of fear, the only way to deal with that kind of anxiety is to enter into that secret place, that secret place of leaning upon the arm of God, stepping back and leaning upon that loving arm of God. And admit that you need Him. A.W. Tozer said this, Let a man become convinced that nothing can harm him. And instantly, for him, all fear goes out the universe. The nervous reflex, the natural revulsion, the physical pain may be felt sometimes, but the deep torment of fear is gone forever. God is love, he continues. God is sovereign. His love disposes him to desire our everlasting welfare. And his sovereignty enables him to secure it. Beloved, if you don't hear anything else, Hear this, what God wants to do in your life, he has the power to do. You're not out there by yourself. He wants to deliver you from that fear, from that anxiety. Maybe you're resentful that God took you down a certain path, a certain road in life. Maybe you feel distrustful or fearful or depressed or whatever. All those are real things. Christians, maybe this morning your your Christian life has become lukewarm. Maybe it's become informal. Maybe it's become half-hearted. Maybe your loyalties are divided. Why does that happen? Because we're not resting in the loving arms of God. Hanley Mule, who was a bishop of Durham, when he was a bishop, they had a tremendous disaster in his community. And he went down immediately and tried to help the people that were there. Tried to say some words of comfort. He didn't know what to say. They were all gathered there waiting for him to comfort their hearts. And he prayed and he opened up his Bible. And it says that the Bible fell open. He says the Lord opened it to a particular place where he placed a bookmark. And he looked at the bookmark, and on one side it said, God is love. And on the other side, there was this this mass of tangled colored threads, just worn out. And the Lord impressed upon him, and he lifted up that bookmark, and he showed them the side that was all tattered and torn. And he says, you know what, this is the disaster of your life. You don't know how you're going to get through it. You're going through things you don't understand. But he turned that bookmark over and he said this, but behind every disaster, every trial, behind it all, there's a loving God. And you know what? That's true even today. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. There's a loving God. God showed His love for us. And He desires you to come to Him if you haven't. And give Him your heart. Father, we pray this morning that as we close our time together, Lord, I know that this was not a Valentine message about human love. It wasn't a message about how we can be a better husband or a better wife or a better parent. But Lord, I trust that 
it was a message about a love that far exceeds any of those things. It was a message based on your love for us. It was your servant, Wesley, who upon his grave, Lord, had this engraved. The best of all, God is with us. Help us remember that when we go through our trials. That God is love and God is with us. I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who has yet to put their faith, their trust in Christ. If there's anybody here who has yet to experience the love of God in a very personal way. In a way that forgives your sins, that takes your burdens off your back. You haven't experienced that unconditional love. He wants you to experience it this morning. I pray that you would cry out to him, even now. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, save me. Show me your way. Teach me to love you. Show me your love. For Christians, Lord, I pray that we would remember that we are secure in the arms of God. That nothing in this world can even touch us without God's approval. And so, Father, we take hope and faith in in the fact that you're our Father and you care for us on a daily basis. Help us not to be fearful about sharing our faith with others, about reaching out and loving those around us. Father, I pray that you remind us of these truths as we live this next week. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.